This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, Weekend Warriors of Michigan Politics and Government. Wow, another incredible week of news, but we are going to get into a subject that maybe has been overlooked by everything that's been happening in the last week or two, but it's really important. And we are so fortunate to have with us State Representative David Legrand, Democrat of Grand Rapids. He represents the 75th House District. Representative Legrand, thanks for being our guest. Great to be here. Well, I want to ask you about your bipartisan personal conflict of interest disclosure package. I mean, this is a a passel of eight bills uh, that you and a number of other Democratic and Republican representatives introduced this week or announced you're going to introduce. Uh, Tell us what this is all about. Sure, Bill. I think that there's there's two ways you can look at this. One is sort of the background concern, and the other is the the moment we're in as a country right now. And so let's let's talk about both of those. The background concern here is for a long time, uh, decades. If you survey voters and ask them what they think people like me are doing in Lansing or in D.C., they think we're self enriching. They think that we're working for ourselves. We're not really working for the people. Uh, we're going to Lansing or D.C. To, to, you know, feather our beds, make lives better for ourselves. So fundamentally, a lot of voters think that I'm in the business of self-enrichment. Um, now, that's a problem, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Foundationally, uh, representative democracy doesn't work if people don't think I'm representing them or if they don't think any electeds are representing them. If they think that uh, getting elected is sort of like winning the lottery, you get to go and make yourself, uh, you know, get power and influence for yourself, and that's what the game is, well, that's not democracy anymore. So when if you have a breakdown in trust between the voters and the elected officials, that's problematic. And it's been going on for a long time, and in Michigan it's particularly problematic because we're one of two states that doesn't require any form of financial disclosure from representatives. So if I don't disclose to you what my financial interests are, how on earth would you know whether I'm operating in my own self-interest and not in the interest of people? Now, to fast forward to the present moment, you'd have to be uh, you'd have to be really, really clueless or living in a shack somewhere to not have noticed <laughs> that right now in the United States of America, we have a crisis in our country. We have a crisis of confidence in our institutions. We have a crisis of confidence in things that are as basic as our elections, uh, which means that, that this distrust of elected officials has never been more acute. And that is a foundational problem for our democracy. So this project right now is incredibly timely because voters have never been more predisposed predisposed to be suspicious. And so I think this is something we can really do to heal our democracy, opening up and being more transparent with the voters uh, for electeds on both sides and a bipartisan group to stand up and foundationally say, look, we want to be open to the people. This is the time that's got to happen. Representative LeGrand, I could not agree with you more, but I got to tell you, going back half a century, the bills that you guys have announced you're going to introduce this week were introduced half a century ago, back in the early 1970s, when distrust of government was also prevalent. 
largely yep. because of the Vietnam War and Watergate. And yep. there was a lot of demand then for legislation exactly like this. And bills were introduced and nothing happened. And here we are half a century later, and you're talking about doing the same thing. Why is it any more likely that something's going to be done now than was done back in the 1970s? <laughs> Great question, Bill. So uh, I think one of the things that I've noticed in Lansing is the persistent attention to, some, to persuading people that something is a compelling uh, problem can make a huge difference. So I've been working on cash bond reform. Well, doing that, there's 148 of us in the state house and the state senate. So I made a list of all 147 people that weren't me, and I started having, you know, uh, conversations walking across lawns with people saying, "Hey, uh, we don't want to live in a state where rich people get treated differently than poor people in the justice system, right?" And they'd say, "No," and I'd say, "Well, okay, let me tell you about cash bond. Uh, you know, uh, non uh, non dangerous poor people keep get locked up, and rich sociopaths get to go home." And they say, "That's messed up." And I'm like, "Yeah, you want to help me fix it?" Well, a lot of my colleagues, they they're not lawyers. They haven't been uh, in the criminal justice system. They don't have a background in this. It's not their fault they don't understand cash bond, but they need somebody to lay it out for them. Well, similarly, I have had a lot of conversations about financial disclosure, and I started modeling myself. Uh, and I then said, well, this is an interesting example of a bill that I could self-comply with. So if I decided, you know, to up the speed limits in Michigan and started working for that, I couldn't drive down the highway at 90 miles an hour and, and tell the state trooper, well, I, I, I'd, I'd like the speed limit to be 90. That wouldn't be a defense, right? <laughs> but this is a unique example of a bill that we can self-comply with right now, even if it doesn't pass. So I started challenging my colleagues to fill out a financial disclosure form, which tracks our bills, and and make them public, and uh, lots of them did, uh, and so we're you know I'm getting them in daily from my colleagues, and, and frankly that starts building momentum. It, it 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 also gets rid of the fear of the unknown. People don't like change, and that's a small C conservative value, which is good. Uh, we should be you know suspicious of change. We should we should kick the tires and make sure that if we want to do something new. Uh, that it's a good idea. Now, this isn't new in the sense that everyone else in the world is doing it, but it's new to Michigan. Uh, so so uh, filling out, going through the discipline of filling out a form kind of makes my colleagues think, oh, well, that wasn't so scary. That wasn't so hard. I mean, my, for example, my good friend Tommy Brand, who's a Republican, owns a restaurant. Um, he's not hiding that. He's not scared of disclosing an information. Tommy's totally comfortable with uh, with disclosure. Um so, so when you see people, and I have, you know, a fair amount of business interests. I might, may well have more employees uh, than anyone else in the house. I don't know. I haven't, you know, we haven't had a contest on that one, but I have a lot of employees. So, for, if I can lead on this, and Mark Heisen, my colleague on the other side, who's sort of taking the lead on the Republican side, Mark's got business interests. So, if those of us with business interests can step forward and say, "Look, we're the people who've got the most to disclose, and we're disclosing." Um, that really makes a difference. Now, I will tell you, this session, we got 63 co-sponsors for this legislation uh, in the House before I went and dropped in and ran the bill down to the clerk's office. So that's a clear majority of the 110 members. And uh, Speaker Wentworth flagged this as, as the first thing he wanted to tackle and have a topic of discussion about in his opening address to the State House. So there is good reason to think that we have come a long way on this. And I've been working on it for five years. And, you know, it takes, it takes time and it takes persistent effort. 
Representative LeGrand, you mentioned earlier that Michigan ranks dead last in the nation when it comes to government transparency, but you've got an eight-bill package here to accomplish this. Why does it take eight bills? I mean, one bill you would think might uh, clear up everything, but you got eight. So what so, what are some of the component parts of this package? Sure. So uh, first of all, Bill, your 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 uh, show is called Inside Michigan Politics. So I'll, I'll give you an insider's <laughs> observation. Um, you asked how things get passed. Well, one way to get things passed is to get a lot of people involved in the effort. So an eight bill package has eight people who want to get want to see it passed. A one bill package would be one personal's one person's personal crusade. So the, you know it's not undesirable to have a, a core concept. And then have eight, eight to, to subdivide it so that you can help have other people carry water on it. So, um, you know, I mean, that means I'm really proud of and happy to have the help of Julie Kelly, who has one of the bills, uh, Grant Filler, who has one of the bills, Steve Marino, who has one of the bills. I already mentioned um, uh, my friend Mark Heisinger. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, this has become popular enough that when I went and talked to Representative Grant about this, he said, Can I have one? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So people like to be involved in projects that are good for the common good. Uh, that's why we're all here, after all, uh, despite the voter suspicion. So, uh, so in other words, I have a lot of colleagues who really wanted to be involved in this. And so you might run things as a smaller number of bills, but in fact, the way we've got it run now, we have one bill about financial disclosure for House representatives, then we have another one for rep, uh, disclosure for people in the Senate, then we have another one for disclosure for the Secretary of State, and so on and so on. So it's not just the State House and State Senate. Okay, well, 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 let's get into more of those details after we come back from a short break. Stay with us, and State Representative David LeGrand of Grand Rapids. I'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with Representative David LeGrand, Democrat of Grand Rapids, representing the 75th House District, and he is the lead Democratic sponsor on an effort to reform Michigan's financial disclosure laws. Uh, Representative LeGrand, you were describing when we had to take a break uh, how these bills are broken down. There are eight of them. Uh, Can you keep going on how this is put together? Sure. Uh, So, you know, we're covering the judicial branch. So that's one uh, that's one part of it. Uh, We're requiring financial disclosure from the governor. That's another part of it. Uh, We're also not just requiring it from representatives, but from candidates, which makes sense. If someone's going to run for office, that's the point at which the voters are sort of paying the most attention to them, maybe. Right. Uh, So it's important to have uh, people running for office have to disclose, too. Um, and uh, then uh, statewide board and um, secretary of state. So we want to make sure that people who are, you know, getting a lot of the public's trust um, really are able to, you know, the public can really see where their interests are. And, you know, fortunately, a lot of our electeds have been very supportive of this. So um, Secretary of State Benson has been very clear about her support of financial disclosure um, for as long as she and I have been talking about this. Um, you know, the governor has been supportive. So um, I'm so I'm hopeful, um, like I said, that we're going to that we're going to move forward on this and and not just have it be something that happens in the House and the Senate. Representative LeGrand, uh, you mentioned the governor and you think she's supportive. I mean, in other words, if her bill is freestanding, the one relating to her as governor, uh, separate from the other seven, are you pretty confident that 
she would accept that as well as the other seven if it gets to her desk? Well, you know, I, I don't ever want to be in a position where I publicly uh, said I could read Governor Whitmer's mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, nor do I want to commit her in advance to something. I mean, she is her own person, after all, and she runs the state. I don't. Um, but I'm hopeful. Uh, let's put it that way. And, it's you know, it's basically good government. And it's something that, that you know, those of us who care about transparency and accountability um, they ought to be concerned about. And, you know, I am a great fan of our governors, and I think that um, this fits into her wheelhouse and core values. You mentioned uh, that 63 sponsors you've got in the House. That's more than a majority. Uh, it looks like you're in pretty good shape to have it pass the House. I think you've got buy-in from the Speaker, Jason Wentworth. Uh, but what about the Senate? I mean, look, there's such a thing in Lansing, unfortunately, called a free vote. Like, uh, one chamber knows, you know, this looks great. I'm going to vote for this because I know uh, the Senate is going to kill it. And sure. so uh, it won't actually go into effect and actually will have the status quo. And that's fine with me, whoever this representative might be. Let's not hope there are too sure. many of them. Sure. Uh, so the answer is, yeah. I mean, we're having conversations in the Senate, too, and uh, – for example, Senator Runstead uh, made a speech on the floor the other day in favor of the concept and, and also was part of um, some media coverage uh, that I was part of. And he, you know, has been very clear that he thinks we need this. And so uh, he's taken sort of a leadership voice in the Senate thus far. Um, but there are other uh, senators in the past who have been very clear about this on both sides of the aisle. I mean, of course, my friend uh, and colleague, Senator Brinks, is, is supportive. Uh, Senator Geis uh, has been very supportive in the past. Um, so I don't want to leave anybody out because uh, there are lots of people who are supportive here. So those are just random examples. I'm not trying to uh, – that's not a list of exclusions. So I think that there is – I think there's broad possibility for support in the Senate. The trick is with a lot of this stuff, it's, it's, it's new. It's fear of the unknown. And, and, and I think also, you know, to shift a little bit here, um, this bill package focuses on where people's financial interests are and their sources of income uh, rather than how much money they have. And so there aren't any dollar figures associated with this package. And I think that's important because I want to know if someone has a conflict whether or not, um, if I'm a voter, I don't really, whether or not someone is rich or poor re really isn't a great argument for voting for or against them, right? So I don't think an attack on David Legrand, if he was running for something saying, don't vote for David Legrand, he's rich, would be an appropriate attack. Or don't vote for David Legrand, he's poor, that wouldn't be an appropriate attack either. But if you said, don't vote for David LeGrant because he helped auto company X and he's on their board, well, that's, a pro that's an appropriate, uh, uh, you know, criticism of me. So uh, if I were on a board, which I'm not. But um, so the point is, right now is a touchy time to be in politics, right? I've gotten death threats. I've had people put up my home address on the Internet. I've been targeted by lots of groups who are angry with me over lots of things. Uh, and, and, you know, more and more, I think, electeds feel like, man, did I, did I sign up for this level of, you know, anger, frustration, and, and, and targeting? Um, you know, it's a scary time, right? We had people actively working on trying to kidnap our governor. Uh, I hope this is not the new normal. Uh, it certainly isn't the normal of, of the past. I don't know the last time we had a, an attempted kidnapping plot on a governor. Um, and I certainly wasn't getting death threats in my first couple uh, uh, terms in the House. So, you know, people are worried that they are going to expose themselves to people. And by people, I mean, you know, our current electeds. 
that they'd be exposing themselves to attacks. And so I think not getting into the weeds of someone's personal wealth is important. But I do think where someone's sources of income are is an appropriate conversation. Um, and, and I think it's really important that, that voters have access to that information so they can, so they can ask questions about conflict. I mean, uh, I said before, Representative Brand and I both own restaurants. Well, if there's a package that really affects the restaurant industry, it's quite appropriate to ask, does David Legrand have a personal interest in this? Is that influencing his decision? Is that influencing his advocacy? Um, voters should be able to ask that question, just like they should be able to ask it about uh, Representative Brand. And we both welcome that level of transparency. Representative, um, you mentioned that um, elected officials would have to disclose sources of income, like you just mentioned, restaurant uh, ownership, also like stock holdings, real estate investment, business associations. Mm -hmm. Let's say that's all covered in the legislation. Let's say this becomes law and then bills come up where a particular member might have disclosed that he or she has an interest uh, in a particular piece of real estate or whatever, would the individual legislator be automatically barred from voting on that on the floor of the House or Senate? Or would it still be a question of the individual legislator making a decision on whether or not he or she feels he or she should be allowed to vote on the legislation? Uh, The latter. But, but the whole point here is to engage the voters. So voters should then be able to ask the question and ask whether the legislator made the right call. So let's take two examples, right? Let's say we decided, let's say there was a bill to lower the income tax in the state of Michigan. Well, everybody benefits from that. So I might benefit, um, but I don't have a particular benefit, right? right. Uh, so I wouldn't have a conflict there. But if, it's, if there's a bill to, I don't know, bail out the restaurant industry due to COVID, well, you know, you'd have to look at the details. If it's something that I would directly benefit from, certainly I ought to dis- certainly I ought to disclose, and maybe I'm conflicted out. But but certainly I ought to disclose, and that's that's why it's so important that the voters get this information. This can't be something that people, you know, do an assessment of inside their own head, or that you know there's some kind of self policing, you know, where the legislature itself looks at whether people have conflicts. Um, because then the voters don't get to engage in that conversation. Now, you know, I will happily talk about uh, relief for restaurants with COVID. I think it's really important that we help restaurants right now um, because there are groups that the government shut down. And if the government, if governmental action has hurt a business, there's a really compelling case for helping that business uh, continue to survive. Absolutely. Listen, Representative LeGrand, you've done a great job of laying out exactly what's at stake with this, and I wish you all the luck in the world on this. I think the people of Michigan deserve this legislation. Whether they expect it or not, that's another question. Thank you, Representative David LeGrand. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we are very fortunate to have somebody with a broad perspective on everything that has happened this week. He is John Selleck, and he is the president, CEO, chief cook and bottle washer at Harbor Strategic Public Affairs. John Selleck, thanks for being our guest. Hey, thanks for having me on, Bill. And that's true. I do everything from uh, mopping the floors <laughs> all the way to, to talk to people like you. Well, listen, uh, 
I just want to pick up on what we just talked about a few minutes ago with State Representative David Legrand, and that is his uh, bipartisan proposal to uh, clear up conflict of interest uh, disclosure in Michigan. Uh, You know, these bills that were introduced this week by this bipartisan group of legislators, eight bills, these were introduced back half a century ago during the Vietnam War and Watergate, and they went nowhere. And they've been introduced periodically ever since, and nothing ever happens. Uh, What do you think? Do you think there's any chance that this is going to go anywhere this time around? I do think that the chances are higher for some form of this to go forward. Um, Like we talked about, I mean, not only has it been around as long as you can remember, as long as I can remember, when I worked for Attorney General Mike Cox and he was running for governor, this was right in the middle of his platform um, because these factoids about Michigan being 49th or 48th in the country and uh, uh, ethics uh, stuff for legislators, it's been there. It's been out there for a long time. And, of course, like with anybody, when you want to put rules on yourself, nobody's too excited about that. I think also there's legitimate points to be made that under term limits, we already have a hard time getting the maybe a full range of candidates to run for office because some people just don't want to undergo the scrutiny, first of all, the political pain that they'll go through, but secondly, the financial pain and what you'll have to expose about yourself one way or the other. But the issue is clear. Maybe we don't need to know how much they're earning like they do in the Congress with the ranges, but we do need to know when some when a conflict of interest exists. And ironically, the Democrats might be benefiting this time pushing the legislation based on all the angst that came out of the Trump administration, and they're just going to try to ride that. So maybe Donald Trump's going to help them make some movement this time. John Selleck, let me ask you, um, this week two big developments were, you know, the Larry Nassar scandal rears its head again. Uh, the charge by Dana Nessel against John Gettert, uh, the coach of the U.S. women's gymnastics team, uh, indicted, and later in the day, John Gettert commits suicide. And now Dana Nessel is asking the MSU Board of Trustees to turn over a lot of data that the board has refused to turn over based on what they say are privacy concerns. Uh, and then there's the Flint water crisis. Are we ever going to be free of the Larry Nassar sex scandal, and the Flint water crisis. What about these two issues? Well, I think the, the undercurrent in both, to, to some extent, or maybe to a major extent, are the, the lawyers and the insurance companies. And that causes all kinds of things that take place that make things go slower. They set up hurdles to make sure that, whether it's Michigan State or it's the state of Michigan regarding Flint or like in any other issue, the insurance companies want to make sure that you did everything first to limit what your liability was. And that's just how our system works. Um, so these things do tend to drag out. We've also seen two attorneys general, Shooty, uh, who started the master investigation, um, and General Nessel try to get more documents from Michigan State, and they've used their legal ability to hold on to those documents. And there's no question that Michigan State, until they release that information, is always going to look like they're hiding something. That's just human nature. Um, but it tends, again, to keep dragging these things out. And it was just just stunning um, in a really heavy way. Having worked in Attorney General Schutte's office when the NASA investigation and then the arrest started, 
to see um, somebody get charged in the hope of justice, another stage of justice to take place, and for that person to be able to get out and kill themselves. I guess we just have to be thankful he didn't harm anyone else in the process. Yeah, John Selleck, is the same thing true, you think, of the Flint water crisis, uh, the way this thing is being dragged out over time? Yeah, I do. And that's the explanation behind almost anything that tends to be slow moving. There's a lot of people involved. There's hundreds of millions of dollars in state taxpayer dollars that are heading out the door. There's a lot of insurance companies who may be on the hook for liability. There's private corporations that may be on the hook for liability. And then for whatever reason, we just keep continuing to see the slow moving wheels um, in Genesee County in the judicial branch. And I'm not there every day to watch it. Um, but we see it in the, more, in the headlines right now where the judge says, I need more time on this. You know, and that was a complaint last time when um, uh, Todd Flood was prosecuting the case and, and trying to get through some of his things. They kept trying to pin it on him that things were moving slowly. Now we have all new, a whole new cast of prosecuting characters and new judges, and the same thing is happening. And it also probably just indicates the complexity and the, the gray area of these kind of charges because we've just never seen this happen before. Um, so there's no comparison to make to it. John Selleck, switching to a completely different subject, what about this massive uh, COVID-19 relief package and a supplemental appropriation that Governor Whitmer has asked the legislature to pass? She's asked for $5.5 billion. The House has passed a version of this that's only $3.5 billion. The Senate Yesterday passed a version with only $2 billion in it uh, in different forms. They haven't even resolved differences between the House and Senate yet, and that's much below what the governor's asked for. And the legislature is attaching some conditions to this money that the governor wishes was not in the legislation, I'm sure. How do you look at this whole situation and how it's going to wind up? Well, first of all, we know this much, that no governor in the modern era has dealt with a um, disruption like this, um, not even close. And to that extent, when you look at the polling numbers for Governor Whitmer, she still is gaining a, a pretty good margin over the majority of people who at least on a very surface level say, I get it, she's done everything she can. I don't think we really know the depth of how much they support some of the things that she's decided to do. I think they just think in the big picture – She's given a strong effort against something that was is pretty scary. Um, it kills people. So she's, that part is going okay. But I think part of what we're, for her, part of what we're seeing now in this year is a multi-layered um, set of issues. First, I think the legislature um, is trying to get restarted. I think they got, like everyone else, caught off by COVID last year. They were not regularly functioning. They didn't want to go to a fully virtual system. So they weren't in person a lot. And I think they strategically laid back a little bit to say, okay, Governor, you want to take charge of this. Go ahead and put all the responsibility on your own plate, and we'll see how that goes. And maybe by the end of the year, that strategy got frustrating for a lot of people. They wanted to see the Republicans in the legislature at least try to hold her accountable and push back. And there were a few instances where they did that. But now with a new speaker um, and a refreshed look on 2021, I think we're seeing the legislature say, okay, we're getting back involved here, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to start holding her far more accountable, and we can do that not on the emergency orders because the courts aren't allowing us to, but we can do it um, with spending. 
Um, so secondly, they're just kind of moving back into doing their oversight job. And really, maybe the most interesting thing about it is in the past, when large chunks of federal funding came, it essentially got rubber stamped. And that's the argument that the governor and the Democrats are making right now. Hey, you're just blindly holding up this money. This money was meant to be spent on COVID. Just give it to us. Hand it all over. And the legislature is saying, hold on. Just because that money came from Washington doesn't mean it didn't come from Michigan family pockets and checkbooks. And we're not going to just blindly hand it over. We're going to use it to involve ourselves in what's happening in Michigan in, in, in the COVID response. And we're going to only dish it out in small chunks as you need it. And then we're going to call you back and say, explain to us what you did and what you accomplished, what worked and what didn't work. And then we can be wiser about the next chunk of money. So they are really trying to inject themselves this time um, into the COVID response far more than they did last year. John Selleck, I mean, there's so many more questions I wanted to ask you. <laughs> and we're out of time. I can't believe it how fast it goes. I want to thank you, John Selleck, who is CEO of Arbor Strategic Public Affairs. Thank you for your perspective. Very useful. Thank you, John Selleck. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. We'll be back in a minute. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we have on the line with us Dennis Darnoy, who is the owner, founder, CEO, chief cook and bottle washer of Densar Consulting, which is a government affairs outfit, I think, in Farmington Hills. He can correct me. Dennis Darnoy, thank you for being our guest. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate you having me on. And yes, indeed, I am in Farmington Hills in Oakland County, Michigan. There you go. Um, Let me talk about something or ask you to talk about um, something we haven't mentioned earlier in the hour, and that is this um, resignation by former State House Speaker Lee Chatfield from the outfit called Southwest Michigan First. Uh, which is an economic development outfit in Kalamazoo, which uh, he was either executive director or president of for literally about a week, uh, but got such huge blowback from the LGBTQ community in Kalamazoo because of his historic uh, opposition to expanding the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act in Michigan to include LGBTQ people. Um, there was such controversy, he decided, you know what, I'm a distraction, Uh, this is not good, I quit, Uh, I resign after a week. Uh, What do you think about all this? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I do think he got a full 11 days in on the job, but um, it's it's an interesting time um, because you can see the influence that um, outside communities have uh, on the political process. I mean, it it was an interesting hire to begin with, um, and and obviously there were some issues about how the hiring went about. But um, given the support for um, the you know the LGBTQ community in Kalamazoo, and then to bring someone who made his political name. I mean, he ran. Uh, and primaried uh, one of the key sponsors of amending Elliot Larson, uh, and that's how he got his political start. So to bring someone like that into you know into Kalamazoo, 
um, someone who, as Speaker, um, fought against uh, amending Elliot Larson. As you know, you know very well, we have um, a fair and equal Michigan has collected signatures to put that issue on the ballot, um, and that is an issue that will be either before the legislature this upcoming session or before the voters in, in 2022. Um, and, and so obviously it's a very relevant topic, a very hot topic, and one that uh, former Speaker Chatfield has a long history on um, and in opposition to into that community. So um, it's just kind of a convergence of uh, someone's political past with the uh, you know historical and political future that that we face uh, with that issue. So, um, again, it just seems like a very odd fit, one that wasn't very well vetted, and and then going into a community uh, with historical support for, um, you know, the LGBTQ community um, just was was rather odd. Yeah, Dennis Arnoy, um, one of the um, criticisms of Lee Chatfield being hired even before the LGBTQ blowback was, why is he qualified for this? I mean, he's very young, 32 years old, um, had been in the state house for three two-year terms. Do you think maybe what the Southwest Michigan first economic development people found attractive about him was his ability to raise money. I mean, he was a huge fundraiser as Speaker of the House, and probably raising money is a lot of what Southwest Michigan First is all about. And they thought, you know, this guy is highly organized and was elevated to the speakership by his Republican-majority colleagues in the House, and he could come in here and maybe really do some great things in Southwest Michigan. By the way, which is hundreds of miles from his district, which is way up in the tip of the lower peninsula, northern tip, uh, he was going to move to Kalamazoo with his family and five children. Right. And, and, and again, as you mentioned, he's, he's very young um, within the Republican Party. He is someone who's spoken about as having a future, whether that's uh, for a statewide run um, or a congressional run. Um, and yes, I mean, as Speaker of the House, uh, he was a prolific fundraiser, um, did a phenomenal job of raising money for the caucus in order for them to maintain their majority uh, in you know, when we've had historic turnout. So, I mean, that, that's certainly part of it. But, you know, when, you, when, when the transparency isn't there as to why you're actually hiring this fellow, uh, you do open yourself to those, those criticisms and the speculation. And, and who really knows, um, you know, as to what, what the real motivation was. Um, but certainly, you know, you and I can look at things and, and having the history that we do say, yeah, here are, the, here are the things that he could bring to the table, even though he did not have a background in economic development, even though he essentially was, you know, a high school teacher and soccer coach. Um, that doesn't really explain why someone would lead an organization of that size, that stature, and in that community. So it is right for, for speculation as to why they looked at him and brought him on board. Dennis Darnoy, let me ask you a question about Ron Weiser and the challenges he faces as the new, for the third time, chairman of the Michigan Republican Party. Uh, first, he was embroiled in controversy because his co-chair is Mishon Maddock, uh, who was a classic Trump 
supporter and was in Washington on January 6th during the Capitol riot. Um, And then because the outgoing chair, Laura Cox, accused him of paying off a candidate for Secretary of State 2018 to get out of the race, um, he comes into the job for the third time uh, with these challenges and also a very seemingly split Republican Party between the Trump supporters and the more traditional establishment Republican Party. What do you think he needs to do right now, and can he do it? <laughs> uh, pray. Um, you know, I, <laughs> because, you know, the truth of the matter is there is a, a huge divide. Um, and, you know, I know Senator Rick Scott, you know, before CPAC was saying, hey, the, the Civil War in the Republican Party has been canceled. That's, you know, that's, that's fanciful thinking. Um, and certainly that's the case here in Michigan. It, it's interesting that, you know, some uh, Trump supporters are now trying to form this, this Patriot Party um, to, to maybe siphon off uh, those, quote-unquote, Trump Republicans. And, and I say good luck. I'd be happy to see them start that, that party. And, uh, you know, if they want to, um, you know, bow down and have fealty to the former president, more power to them. Um, but, you know, Ron, Ron is, is very good at raising money, going back to what we were talking about. Um, and it's going to be interesting because some within the donor class are not comfortable with where the grassroots wants to take the Michigan GOP. And, and, and that's going to bear itself out. I mean, we're seeing this in, in many different forms where uh, companies and organizations are deciding not to give um, political donations to candidates uh, predominantly GOP candidates who, you know, continue to say the election was stolen and, and, you know, point to fraud. And you have now companies like Dominion suing individuals and suing uh, organizations who continue to peddle uh, these false stories. So to try to bring this GOP together over the next two years is, is really a Herculean task. Um, and I think it will be very interesting to see where the party goes for their uh, gubernatorial nominee. Um, and, and that will tell us a lot about the direction of, of the GOP for two years and, and maybe even beyond, um, because there, there are two, you know, there's always been these factions. I mean, you can go back to, you know, Pat Buchanan's uh, speech at the National Convention in 1992, and, you know, he's... It, you know, he was in the minority then, speaking about a lot of the things that has now become mainstream within the the, the GOP, especially here in Michigan. Um, so we've had those factions before. It's always been who's controlled the levers, and for the longest period of time, uh, the 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 more established and, in my opinion, the more sane side of the party um, has has been in control, and that's no longer the case. So uh, Ron Wise has got his work cut out for him. And, um, you know, it will be very interesting to see if there is a legitimate third party that is, you know, more made up more of the Tea Party, um, black helicopter, conspiratorial, QAnon uh, version that right now happens to inhabit the Republican Party. Yeah, listen, uh, great job uh, of your perspective on these issues. Listen, there's so much more I want to ask you about, but we're out of time. Uh, We'll have to get you back. Because I know some of these stories are going to continue to percolate uh, 
uh, over the next few weeks and months. Thank you so much, Dennis Darnoy, who is CEO of Densar Consulting in Farmington Hills. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Bill, and have a wonderful weekend. Same to you. We'll be back next week with still more.